0: Good morning again. If you uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to the Book of Matthew. The book of Matthew. We'll be there in just a few minutes. It's been a great day of uh, worshiping together. We're off to a very good start on our year. I really appreciate Charlie mentioning our theme just a few minutes ago, uh, as we are are striving to to grow and we're asking God to help us in that way and we are, are uh, you know, it's, it's an active theme. Uh, it's not grown, it's growing. We are growing in and, and, and as we talk about growing in, what we mean by that is it begins with us. It begins with every single person, every single minister, uh, uh, member of this church saying, I am going to be dedicated to following after Jesus. I am. And my family, we are going to seek Jesus personally, individually, in our daily lives. We are going to be spending time in His Word. We're going to be spending time praying to God individually and collectively as families or, or, or together. And when we do that, when we dedicate ourselves, when we begin individually to focus on our relationship with God, that is going to help us grow from within. And I think it's as we begin to grow inwardly that it is organically going to need to growing outwardly. It's going to help us in our outreach, in our our mission to Providence Plaza. You know, we've been going to Providence Plaza for the last uh, two years now. We try to go once a month over there and we shut our doors on whatever night it is we go, on a Wednesday night that it happens to be, and we go over there and we take the church into Providence Plaza, and it has been such a, a blessing to be there. We're getting ready to go again in, in just a couple of weeks, but we cannot grow outwardly. We cannot grow out unless we are growing in. Does that make sense? Because it's once we are, begin to grow inwardly, we realize we realize that there is a purpose that God has put us here for. There is a purpose in us being here together. There's a purpose for us as a church, and it is not to exist within these walls only, right? It is to take the message of the kingdom outside of our walls, to take it into the community of, of, of people that don't know Jesus. And that's why, starting last Sunday, we started to incorporate the prayer for the lost. And we're going to have that as a part of our call to worship every single Sunday. Of this year we're gonna have our our scripture reading through the Psalms and then just as Jimbo prayed a little while ago we're going to have that prayer for the lost where we spend 30 seconds focusing on on one or two or whoever it might be people that don't know Jesus we're gonna ask God to grant them faith and then whoever leads us through our call to worship will lead us through that prayer for those those individuals okay and that's part of growing outwardly as we grow Out we grow in our love and our faith for others for those that don't know Jesus for those that need a touch of Christ in their lives and that's one of the ways that we do that and we believe that once we begin growing in we will begin growing out and as we grow in and as we grow out we will begin growing together as a body both in spirit and numerically and so that is you know that's become our our theme for the rest of 2016, and so you'll see you'll see that theme all over the place. You'll see it in the in the bottom uh, uh, corner of the message slides as we go throughout the year. Uh, you, you know me well enough by now to know that I, I preach one point sermons that I give you usually at the very end. And what that's going to be called for the year is the growth point. This is what is going to help us. This is what is going to help us grow in our walk with. Jesus, our walk within our faith. And so you'll see that pop up at the end of, of every, single, uh, every single message. I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the, the year. I'm excited about the things uh, that we are, are, are planning and that we're wanting to do. I'm excited about your excitement. As I've heard you talk about growing, as I've heard you talk about reaching out to people and inviting your friends and your neighbors, as I've heard you share the different commitments that you or your family have made to start reading your Bible more or reading your Bible together to read uh, devotional books and things like that. That is very exciting to hear that, hey, you know, we want to do this. We want to grow because, you know, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, I am not content with where we are. Are you? I'm not content with where we are. We have to be Always wanting to see more and more people come to Jesus. Yes or no? You know, if you believe that, say, oh yeah, or amen, or whatever. We have to want to see more people come to Jesus. Yes or no? Absolutely. And so that's what this theme is about. It is about growing in. It starts with us. Once we begin to grow inwardly, then we begin to grow outwardly the right way. Once we grow in and grow out, we can grow together, both in spirit and in number. And so one of the things that we're going to do that is going to help us grow in is design a series of messages that are going to help us do that. And so today, we are, are beginning a study in, in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's, uh, it's, one, of the, you know, it's one of the greatest books that is written. It's the, the first book in your, in your New Testament. And, you know, it is the story of Jesus Christ. And so that's where we're going to begin. And today, we're only going to look at one verse. One verse today, but then come back because there's a whole lot more that we're going to cover as we move through this, through this material. You've heard me mention Randy Harris before. He is a, a professor out at Abilene Christian University in... Uh, in Abilene, Texas, Uh, he's a brilliant man, I've had the the chance to hear him speak a number of times, I've had an opportunity to talk with him individually uh, several times, and it's just a blessing to to be in his presence. He tells a story about when he was a little boy growing up in, in Arkansas, you know, they didn't have a whole lot, they didn't have a TV or anything like that. And so it was books that captivated him. And so he would go to the library, and the librarian gave him, gave him a book to read. And he said it, it captivated him. And he read it, and he took it back, and he asked the librarian, is there, is there anything else like that? And she'd say, no, Randy, there's nothing else like that. But why don't you try this one? And so he took it home, and, and, and he read it, and he loved it, and he'd take it back the next week, and he'd say, is there anything else like this? And she'd say, no, Randy, there's not, but here's, Here's another one, won't you take this home and and read it? And he said this continued over and over and over again. He just read and read and read and read. And he said, I I realized the more I read, the more I was captivated by the words. I was captivated by the, the texts. I was captivated by the way the sentences were organized and the paragraphs and how they were leading me from one place to another. How they were taking me on a journey. And how at the end of that journey... There was the the resolution. There was conflict. There was pain. There was heartache. There were times of of great joy, but it would resolve in the end. He said, I was captivated. I was captivated by the words that I read. And that's what Matthew attempts to do. As we come to the Gospel of Matthew, his goal is to captivate his readers. And his goal is to captivate his readers with the story of Jesus. And so he begins to to tell this incredible story. And he walks us through all of these these different things. And I'm going to talk more about those in just a minute. But that's what we are going to do as well. We are going to look at this story, a story that we've heard over and over and over again, but one, that if we take an honest look at it every single time, we realize that, that, that God's Word reveals something new to us every single time. That's because God's Word is living and it's, it's active. And there's always something to learn. You know, I've been, been studying this book for, for a long time. Uh, you know, my life's been dedicated to ministry for, for 21 years. And. You've heard me say this before, the, the more I go into it, the more I read scripture, the more I study, the dumber I feel, okay, okay, I know a whole lot less now than what I used to know 20 years ago, you know what I'm talking about, okay, and, and, and realistically, I'm thankful, I'm thankful that I'm not as smart as I used to be, okay, I'm thankful I'm not as smart as I used to be, I am so thankful, you know, when I was a teenager, I was, I was brilliant, I was a genius. I mean, I was a genius. You couldn't tell me anything, okay? <laughs> I was a genius. Now, this is not an indictment of you guys. Y'all really are geniuses. I know you are. But when I was a teenager, man, I was brilliant. And then that thing happens where you grow older and life happens and you get out and you realize, wait a minute, that, wait, 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 what? what, that That's not right. That wasn't supposed to happen that way. But it, yet it, it it did. You know, and then you begin to study and then, you leave your your parents' house and you get exposed to all of these new people and then you might move away and there's a different culture and there's different things that are going on and you realize the worldview that you had, that tiny little worldview, is just that. It's tiny. It might have been huge when you were living in it and you were the master of it. But it's like once you get outside of home, you realize, wow, things are not quite what I thought they were. And you realize eventually, man, there's a lot that... There's a lot that I don't know. And that's the way it is with with the Bible. The more I study the Bible, really, honestly, the more inadequate I feel with it. And I realize, you know, I don't know what I thought I once knew. Because there's always more to learn. And you want to know how you grow inwardly? You have that approach to Scripture. That there's always something else to learn. You want to stop growing spiritually? You want to stop growing inwardly? Think you know it all. Think, hey, I've read those stories. I know it. I know how it goes. I know Jesus shows up. I know he's a good guy, lives a good life, doesn't sin, goes to a cross. You know, death, burial, resurrection, boom, let's go to heaven. Book of Acts, all these miracles, mission trips, all this great stuff. Paul wrote a bunch of letters. Book of Revelation, a bunch of crazy stuff. And there I don't understand. Woo, we go to heaven. You know, that's it. I got it. Now i just got to live my life. Beatitudes. If you approach Scripture and if you approach your following Jesus that way as if I don't have anything else to learn, you will not grow in. If you do not grow in, you cannot grow out. Okay? We have to approach God's Word with the, with the holiness that it is. It is living. It's active. It wants to show us something. It wants to, it wants to captivate us and take us on a journey, and, 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 and I'm saying stuff that I'm not even planning to say, but you know, it happens. God's Word, you've heard me say this before, you know, people will say this is, this is an instruction manual. Everybody heard that? God's little instruction manual. Man, I don't like that metaphor, because who likes to read instruction manuals? I mean, when really is the last time you went to your car and pulled out the owner's manual and said, oh, Praise God. Here's how to change a light bulb. Hallelujah. You know, it's boring. You don't, nobody likes that. That's why I don't like that metaphor. Okay, yeah, it's got some instructions on life. I get that. But this is God's letter to us saying, hey, look, this is the story. Not only is this the story, not only is it my story, but God is inviting us and saying, look, this is is your story. You have a part in this story story and those of you that give your life to Jesus you are adopted and you take on sonship and daughtership and you call out with the same spirit that cries out abba father that's that's what it's about that's when we realize there's more to it than just an instruction manual this is this is a journey That we go on with God and it's going to twist and it's going to turn it's going to have all these these different things but it's got an incredible ending and so today we are going to start looking at Matthew's version of the gospel the gospel according to Matthew is 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 how it is how it is written all right now I'm I'm gonna throw some things up here for you as we we take this this look at Matthew. But before we do that, let's let's just let's pause and let's let's pray uh, over this series. God, we thank you for the day you've given us. We thank you for allowing us to be here. We thank you for a time of worship that we've had and a chance to remember the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ around the table. God, it's that, that resurrection, that that hope that we have in Jesus. And we're so grateful to that. God, it's because of that resurrection that there is no fear with death, that there is no sting to death that god we realize that with you with jesus death death is just the veil that we have to pass through to be with you and so god we're grateful for that we're grateful that you've removed the fear of death and god now as we begin to to look at this story once again as we begin to to consider what matthew has to say about jesus i pray that you will help us to see it with fresh eyes and and fresh hearts. God, I pray that that you will captivate us as we move through, as we move through this story. We thank you for Jesus. God, we cannot thank you enough for Jesus. But we praise you. Through your Son's name we pray, and all together we say, Amen. Amen. Alright, so let's take a a quick look at uh, Matthew. Now, it's called the Gospel according to Matthew, but you know what? Actually, nowhere in the Bible... Nowhere in the book of Matthew does it say that Matthew actually wrote it. Did you know that? It never says that Matthew wrote these particular words down, but you have these early church fathers, especially by around 125 A.D., they attribute everything that is written in this book back to Matthew, that these are the words that that Matthew the apostle, uh, Levi the tax collector, these are the words that, that he penned and that he wrote down. And he wrote down this story. It was probably written during the last quarter of the first century. Now the dates range kind of far and wide. And you'll see some dates written as early as the, the 50s on out to the, to the 80s. You know, it's kind of it's dependent on who you read and what kind of what their timetable is. And it doesn't really matter. But what we know is that it was written somewhere around the, the last quarter of the, of, the, of the first century. We also know this that Matthew probably used the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, as his source material. Now, the book of Mark is the oldest gospel. It is the first gospel that was written. And Matthew took the book of Mark, and it's likely that he had that in front of him as he was writing down his story, his version of the accounts. And You can go and read lots of material about that on the the authorship of Matthew, and there's all kinds of stuff that is there that you can read about that is, uh, that is, that is really interesting. Now, if there's going to be a key verse, if there's going to be a key verse that we focus on throughout the study of this text, it's this one right here. So if you want to write it down, if you want to underline it or circle it or highlight it or whatever, and this is the verse we're going to look at this morning, and I'm going to come back to it at the end. It's this right here. The key verse is, this is my son whom I love with him." I am well pleased. That is going to be, I think, the foundation for what we are going to do as we, as we look through this, this incredible book of Matthew. And the purpose of Matthew's Gospel is this. It is to identify Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus as the Anointed One, the Son of God. He is Emmanuel. He is, God is with us. That is what he is trying to do. He's going to establish who Jesus is. Now, for, uh, as we move through this stuff, uh, there's sort of a, a framework that I'm going to try to set everything into. And uh, several years ago, about actually 14 years ago, I met a guy by the name of uh, Dr. Dallas Burdett. And uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a brilliant guy as well. And he gave me a... Um, a, a paper that he had written an academic paper, and it was dealing with some stuff with the gospel of matthew and it helped me to see this in a, in a very unique way uh, and, and a framework and a structure and i 'm going to follow kind of his structure as we as we go through this uh, as we go through this text, but it was just really incredible to, to sit and listen to him describe this book and to point out these these sort of these literary devices that sort of help advance the story and carry you on into the text uh, the book can be it can be broken down into all kinds of ways there's all kinds of ways that you can break it down you know there's large chunks of of teaching material you know the, the main one that comes to mind is what the Sermon on the the Mount Matthew chapter 5 through 7 you know you have these huge chunks of teaching where in that sermon, Jesus is is talking to, to the crowds that are following Him. He's also addressing the religious leaders, who we're going to talk about in just a minute. And He is saying, look, here is how your life should be lived. Okay? Here are the becoming attitudes. Here's how you should live your life. Not only that, He's going to challenge those guys directly. Okay? And He's going to say, you've heard it said this, but now I'm telling you this. And He's going to raise the standard. For how people live okay, and that's what we have to do as well. If we are going to grow, we have to raise to the standard of Jesus. Yes or no? We have to raise to that standard. So we're going to be looking at those things. You know, you get into chapter thirteen and you have all these these kingdom parables uh, that uh, Jesus is describing the kingdom of heaven. He'll say you know, like a mustard seed, and he'll talk about the, the the sower and all of these different things. And so there's a lot of ways that you can approach this book you can break it down into into to several uh, different ways but what we're gonna do is we're gonna break it into three major sections okay and this is where this is Dr. Burdett's this is his sort of his structure that we're gonna fall into Uh, the first section is gonna be the unveiling of Jesus and that starts in chapter 1 verse 1 all the way out to chapter 4 verse 16 and it's during that that opening section there's a lot of stuff that's gonna happen And we're going to jump into that next week. But there's a lot of stuff that's happening. But it's during this time that Matthew is establishing who Jesus is. That he is the Son of God. That he is the Messiah. He's going to to point out several different people. And we're going to look at them in just a minute. He's going to give us the different points of view about who Jesus is. And then once we wrap that section up, we're going to move into the, the public ministry section of Jesus' life. That starts in four seventeen. That's going to run all the way out into chapter sixteen, and it's here that Jesus begins teaching. Okay, it's then he begins his his ministry in in Galilee, and he's going around, and he's saying all these great and these wonderful things. It's during this time that he's healing people, and he's feeding thousands at a time, and he's raising the dead, and he's doing just these incredible things. And then at the end of, of that section, starting in sixteen twenty one through the end of the book you have what is described as the journey to Jerusalem the journey to Jerusalem and that basically means that there became there came a point in Jesus life and in his ministry when he realized okay if I'm sent here to fulfill a purpose that purpose is to go and to die on a cross and 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 something within him whether it comes from God or Holy Spirit he just knew it as he continued to grow he knew that okay it's time to start going toward Jerusalem it's time to start making that journey there and it's not like he you know like we do like we get on a plane and hop over and be there you know the next day it took several months for him to, to make his way there and it's as he is journeying there are stops that he's going to make along the way there are people that he's going to encounter as as, uh, as he makes his way to, to Jerusalem and you'll know when these section changes come about uh, there are some signals that Matthew has put into the text that'll let us know when we reach the end of a signal, uh, end of a section. At the end of the first section, it's going to say, "From that time on, Jesus began to preach." Okay, and that's where he's talking. He's going to begin to talk about the kingdom. Okay, and he's going to talk about the kingdom of heaven. And it's 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 time. It's here. He's going to move into the Sermon on the Mount and all of these other things. And that's the the end. Uh, that's the transition statement that's going to move the story along. It's going to advance it from section one to section two, okay? The identity of Jesus has now been set up. Everybody knows who he is. It's been established. And from that time on, the established identity, Jesus is going to begin to teach. He's going to begin to preach. The second one is this one. And it's from that time on, Jesus began to explain. And this is where the journey to Jerusalem begins. From that time on, Jesus began to explain that he must be what? delivered into the hands of sinful men from that time on he's going to be heading toward the cross and it's when we get to that marker right there you have this shadow of the cross that begins to loom large over Jesus' life as he begins to make his way to Jerusalem ultimately ultimately, to be resurrected but first before he's resurrected he has to die a very horrible and a, and a very very painful death. And so that's just kind of the the markers that you're going to see. And so if you're reading along right now, I know a couple of you are reading through Matthew right now uh, together, or you might be reading it by yourself. When you see those things, when you see 417 and you see 1621, that should go off in your head as, okay, there's fixing to be a change. There's fixing to be a transition. Something else is happening that is going to advance the story to the next spot and so kind of be be watching out for those things as we as we read together Uh, something that you're going to notice something that you're going to notice as we move through the book is conflict now who likes conflict anybody some of you I think might like conflict (laughs) I definitely know people that like conflict it's like that's all they have in their lives and you see it and you feel it and sometimes it gets on you and you're stuck in it and you don't know how to get it off of you but we all know people like that who love conflict right okay I don't particularly like conflict but sometimes my life has conflict like I'm sure all of yours does well the life of Jesus was no different okay and as we move through the gospel of Matthew you're going to see that there is an undercurrent it starts out as an undercurrent but it's going to come front and center that there is this theme of context or this theme of conflict, uh, this, is what, uh, this is what Dallas Burdett says about this. He says, in the plot of Matthew's story, conflict exists between two opposing forces, Jesus and the religious leaders. And you're going to see that over and over and over again. Okay? There is this conflict that is, is constantly that is, is constantly, um, constantly building. And you know it's going to it, it's going to culminate it's going to culminate at the cross and the resurrection and all of these different things. All right, so uh, here's here's what's going to happen. In the first section, it's there's going to be kind of a foreshadowing of the conflict. It's not going to be direct. It's going to come in sort of some some indirect ways. Jesus is going to say some things, and it's going to rub the religious leaders the wrong way, okay? He's going to offer forgiveness of sins and they're going to look at each other like, what? Wait a minute. Can he say that? You know, you remember that? You remember them saying stuff like that? Only only God can forgive sins. So the conflict's going to be kind of indirect at first in that that first section, but it's going to be with these religious leaders. In the second section is when it's really going to begin because Jesus begins to to say things more openly. He's going to say, you've heard it, This way but I'm telling you it's this way okay and to to the establishment man that's gonna jump all over them because they're gonna say wait a minute we've been doing it this way for years this is God's handed down law Moses gave us these words and Jesus is gonna come along and say yeah that's fine but here is a new interpretation of this here's a new midrash Here is a new way to think about this. You were living at this level. Well, I'm I'm going to call you to a higher standard. And we're going to get into that. When you get into Matthew chapter 5, you have this, this section that's just called the new authority. And it's those statements. You've heard it said this, but now I'm telling you that. Okay? And then there's going to be times where Jesus is going to say things that are really nice, like your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. Okay? Now then, when I used to read that as a kid, I think, well, man, that, that's, that's pretty good because those guys were righteous. But that's not what Jesus is saying at all. He's saying, look, these guys have the show. They look like they're righteous. That can't be the way you live your life. You're going to follow me. You have to live differently. Okay? It's not about tying a millstone on somebody's neck. It's about my yoke is easy. My burden is, is light. Okay? You come follow me and you're going to find rest. And when he's talking about yoke, He's talking about his teaching. Okay, notice that's in the teaching section. That's section two. Okay, Jesus' words, he's saying, my yoke, my teaching, it's it's not meant to to destroy you. It's meant to lead you to life and be refreshing. And so that's what we're going to see in the second section. And in the third section, the conflict just escalates and escalates and escalates to the point where, you know, they, they have nothing left to do with Jesus. They cannot take him on. They can't control him. They can't get him to change his mind. So the only option, the only alternative is kill him, okay? And so they put Jesus to death in that, in that third section. That's, that's the conflict, how it, uh, how, it escalates, how it escalates through the book. Now, as we go through this too, Matthew is going to give us some points of view, okay? The, the POV. Uh, you read any story that has multiple characters in there, and you always have a different point of view, right? Okay, there are a lot of people that wonder why you have four Gospels. Okay, why do we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Well, those are the different points of view. Okay, those are written by different people. You have Matthew, and you have Mark, and you have John, who are are Jews themselves. Okay, and you got kind of these these different perspectives that are coming in. Okay, You you got Mark. Who is just? I mean, he just steps on the gas and go. He did not talk about the birth or anything like that. I mean, chapter one, chapter two, open up and it's miracles and it's demon encounters and it's conflict. I mean, just right away, you have Matthew who's going to take some time and he's going to set up the story. Okay, he's going to he's going to open right up with the, the, the our favorite part of scripture to read the genealogy. You know, the really just the part that we love, the part that when I got when I sign you guys the. Call to worship. You pray. I don't give you that text to read out loud to pronounce those names, and I usually do it anyway for my amusement uh, because I don't know how to pronounce them either. But then you have John, and he's got this prologue that is just ridiculously hard to get out of. I mean, it starts off easy. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Drop down to verse fourteen, and you know the, the Word the word became flesh and and took up residence among us and then it gets really difficult as it moves into the story and John's got these i ams and all these different sayings and he's got these different things and then you got you then know, you got the gospel of Luke that, that kind of starts like Matthew it's got a birth story and it's got a genealogy and it's got all these other stuff all these other things but then you re- realize it's written to a completely different kind of audience it's not addressed to just just jews it's addressed to everybody because Luke He's not a Jew, okay? He's the one writer uh, of the Gospels who's not a Jew. He's a, a Gentile, which is, you know, all the Gentiles in here, raise your hand. If you don't know, raise your hand. If you're not sure, raise your hand. All of us are, are Gentiles. I don't see any Hebrews among us this morning, so that's just about all of us. If you are, sorry, uh, shalom, friends. Um, but that's all of us, okay? So you have these different, you have these different points of view about Jesus now then they all arrive at the same conclusion okay that Jesus is God's son but what Matthew is going to do is he is going to show us he's going to show us some of the points of view that we see uh, that we see in scripture and as we work through the book you'll notice and this is what this says this is what Dr. Burdett says he says as you notice you'll notice we'll be confronted with the different points of view concerning the identity of Jesus Matthew's point of view is this that he is going to be born of a virgin, he's going to be named Jesus, he'll also be Emmanuel, which is God is with us. And you see that there in chapter 1, as he is describing the encounter between Mary and the angel Gabriel, and uh, you know, Matthew brings in this prophecy that says, you, know, you are to name him Jesus, he will be born of a virgin, you know, and he will also be called Emmanuel. That is the point of view that Matthew is going to have throughout the entire book that this is the Messiah. This is Emmanuel. Well, then there's the Magi. And we don't know much about the Magi. We don't read much about the Magi except at the beginning of the story. But their point of view, even though they only have a minor bit part, their point of view is that he is the king of the Jews. Because what happens? They arrive in Jerusalem. They go to Herod, and that's who they ask for, the king of the Jews. Where is this... This king of the Jews, we've heard about. Well, that leads us to Herod's point of view, and he's deeply disturbed by this because Herod is afraid that he's going to lose power. Okay? Herod doesn't have a lot of power to begin with. Okay? Now, over the Jews, he might, but Herod is a puppet king. Okay? He has a throne because Rome does not want to directly deal with these Jews. So he sets up the Herods, you just sort of be the king over these people, but you're really not the king. I'm the king. Hail Caesar. Caesar is Lord. But you be the king over these people. Okay? So he's not even, he's not really a real king. He's just sort of this puppet king, but yet he hears about this king of the Jews. Okay? And he's disturbed about this, and he kind of makes up this farce about figure out where he is and come back and tell me who he is and so I can go and and I can go and worship him too. Knowing full well that he doesn't intend to do that because what does Jesus have to do? He's got to go live in Egypt for a couple of years. Okay, because Herod had this wicked plot to kill all these baby boys two years old and younger that might possibly be this, this king of the Jews. And so that's, he's afraid of Jesus. That's his point of view. Well, then there's the religious leaders. And you'll see it all throughout there that they don't believe Jesus is who he says he is. There's, there's a couple that do along the way. Uh, You know, Nicodemus, he's going to kind of come around a little bit. You know, Of course, you don't see that until you get into the Gospel of John. But there are a couple of them that sort of recognize who he is. But on the whole, the religious leaders, they don't really think Jesus is who he says he is. And when they've hung him on the cross, you sort of see that as they begin to mock him. You know, he saved others, let him save himself, you know. He says he's the king of the Jews, okay? What was, the, what, was the, uh, what was written on the parchment or the sign, the notice that was attached to the cross? Do you remember what it says? King of the Jews. They did not believe that. They're mocking him as they do that. Okay, and so as they say, as they say let him save himself, he saved others. You know, they don't believe that either. Okay, they believe this guy's a farce. They believe he's a joke, that he's a false messiah. They don't believe who he he claims to be. Okay, have you ever thought about that? All the the people who Jesus came in contact with, most of them, realize this is somebody different. But the religious leaders don't. Okay, and they spend the rest of Jesus' time on earth trying to prove that Jesus is not Jesus. Okay? Because, and here's what I think. I think the reason they're like that, this is purely conjecture, this is just me talking out loud, they're the ones who are supposed to have all the answers. I mean, they're the religious leaders, they're the ones who have been to Torah school and it didn't just stop at 12, they continued on with it. These are the guys who are supposed to know, if anybody should recognize Jesus, it should have been these guys, but they didn't, they missed it. Okay, and because they fail to recognize the signs, just as Jesus said, you know, you look and you look, but you don't see. You know, you hear, but you don't perceive. You don't understand. You know, he's talking about those, those religious leaders, and they, they, just, they just didn't like it. All right, so that's their point of view. Then there's, uh, then there's John the Baptist, and we're going to look at this story next week in chapter 3. We're, gonna, we're not going to spend a lot of time in chapters 1 and 2, because we covered that during the Christmas season, so we're not going to talk about that. We're going to jump straight to chapter 3. We're going to start with, uh, with John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus. And, and his point of view of his relative or cousin, whoever it might be, is that there is one coming that is greater than I. And I'm not even worthy enough to stoop down and untie his sandals. Well, then there's Peter, and we talked about this several weeks ago in our Twisted series. Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? Peter's confession is you are the Christ, you're the son of the living God. Then there's Satan's point of view. Satan believes that this is God's son. Otherwise, I don't think he would have attacked him the way that he did. But he says it over and over again, if you are the son of God. And so we'll see that in a couple of weeks as we, as we get there. And then there's, finally there's this. And here's the verse we want to talk about for just a few minutes, and then we're, we're done for the day. This is in chapter 3. Verse 17, and we'll look at this again next week as we look at that entire chapter. Jesus goes out to John for baptism. You know the scene? Jesus wants to be baptized. John doesn't want to do it. Jesus says, we've got to do this. We've got to fulfill what's been written. John agrees. He baptizes Jesus. And then it's as, as Jesus comes up out of the waters. there's the, a couple of things that happen that, you know, the, the Spirit descends like a dove and a voice from heaven speaks. And the voice from heaven is the voice of God. And this is what he says in, uh, in, in Matthew 3, verse 17. He says, this is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Okay? And he, he speaks as, a, as a, vo- a, a voice of authority. You have right here at the beginning of, of Jesus' ministry, You have God speaking, saying, you want to know who this is? This is, this is my son. Okay? This is my son. Other places in Scripture, this is my son. Listen, listen to him. Listen to him. But that's what he says. Um, And here's the thing. That's God's point of view. This is my son. This is also the point of view that Matthew is trying to get his readers to grasp as well. He wants us, He wants us to come away from this series saying, you know what, that is, that is the Son of God. Okay, that is God's Son. Now then, we know, we know that there are many different points of view about who Jesus is, yes or no? Absolutely. You know, we know there's lots of them. There are people, uh, there are people who say that, uh, you know, that He was a good, that He was a good man. Okay, there are people that say he was a good teacher, like, you know, Plato and Aristotle and, and you know, those kind of guys. Uh, and there are people that say he was completely nuts. Okay, and I think it was, uh, think it was uh, C.S. Lewis who said that, you know, Jesus, he was either Lord, liar, or lunatic. You have to decide which one that, that he is. Okay, uh, our concern, hopefully, is the point of view of God. God's point of view is this is my son whom I love and it's in him that I am, I am pleased. And so this is, this is the first part of our growth point today. There are so many points of view about who Jesus is. Some say he was a good man, others say good teacher. <clears throat> others say he was a lunatic. Our concern should be God's point of view that he is who he says he was. And here it is right here. If we believe that God is the creator of all things, If we believe that God is the creator of all things, then we can believe that Jesus is who God says he is. Does that make sense? If we believe that God is the creator of all things, then we can believe God when he says, this is my son, and I'm pleased with him and what he is going to do. Okay? That's our first growth point of the year. and So maybe that's where you are. Maybe that's where you're struggling. Go home and wrestle with that. Go home and wrestle with these points of view. Go home and wrestle with with what God has, has said. But if you believe that God is the creator of heaven and earth, then you can believe that God is accurate when he says, this is my son. Okay? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now, a lot of information today. Okay, Like drinking out of a fire hydrant. I get it. I okay? threw a lot of stuff at you. You're probably not going to remember half of it. I won't either. Okay, If you have questions... I'll be glad to make up an answer and tell it to you. Uh, No, I'll be glad to help you with that. I'll be glad to do that. But I'm going to enjoy this series. I think you will as well as we take these texts and we move through them. What our our goal at the end of this series is, is to be able to say, you know what? My point of view is God's point of view. God's point of view is that Jesus is Lord. He is the Messiah. He is Emmanuel. Next week, come back, we're going to talk about uh, chapter 3, the baptism of Jesus and how God personally, enters the story. We're going to see how he does that. For today, if you're struggling with where you are in your faith, maybe you've not been doing these things we've talked about to grow. Maybe you've not been talking to God. You've not been reading your Bible. Why not start today? Why not turn back to him? Start growing inwardly so that you can begin to grow out and so that we can grow together. Some of you means you've got to come back to Jesus. and Just say, hey, look, I've blown it. I need another chance. Please forgive me. For others of you, you've never given Jesus a chance, and maybe that means I do believe that Jesus is God's Son. He is the Son of God that God was pleased with, and I want to be a part of this kingdom. And so you confess that Jesus is Lord. When you confess Jesus is Lord, you're baptized into His name, reenacting, participating with, joining Jesus in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. As you're dead spiritually, you're buried and you're raised to new life in Jesus, and you can do that as well. If we can help you, if we can pray for you, Jeffrey's going to be right down front. Come and and, and speak with him, and he'll be glad to help you in any way we can. But uh, don't go away hurting. Don't go away carrying a burden that you don't have to carry, that Jesus never intended for you to carry. If we can help you in any way, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?